Hello and welcome to Say That, the podcast for your big questions, get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host from the city of Chicago. Joining us here is Jed Brewer. Hello! With us via the magic of the internet, all the way from Oak Ridge, Tennessee, is Lee Younger. Glad to be here. We have an excellent show for you this week. We're going to do things a little differently. Uh, we have our normal three-question format, which we will return to next week. If you have a question for us, by the way, just scroll down to your episode description and click one of the links there. Send that in. We would love to hear from you. But this week, we got a question uh, into our email inbox that was really broad and layered, and I think is going to make for a good bit of longer conversation on some scandal, where the church is, what people might want out of that. But first, we also had a, a from a podcast listener and superfan Gwen come in a list of rules from a um, church in North Carolina that's going to lead to an I checked four times to make sure this is real emergency. <laughs> wow. And sure enough, we have a list from Word of Faith Fellowship which is uh, based in Spindale, North Carolina. And you might say, I've never heard of that, and uh, you are not alone. So, uh, a list of do's and don'ts for Word of Faith Fellowship, Spindale, North Carolina. Um, some background I will read from the Wikipedia for uh, Word of Faith Fellowship. First, I will note that uh, here are the subheadings for the Word of Faith Fellowship, you know, you get your, your kind of headers on Wikipedia there. History, style of worship, rules, that gets its own, abuse allegations, other charges, documentary, and book. Wow. <laughs> now you might think, oh, is that like the pastors wrote a book as often happens? Uh, here, I will read to the entirety of the book entry. Associated Press reporters Mitch Weiss and Holbrook Moore wrote the book Broken Faith Inside the Word of Faith Fellowship, One of America's Most Dangerous Cults. <laughs> so that's where we're headed. I will I will note is not we don't really need a content warning. We're not going to anything too bad. The the uh the abuse allegations are basically that they uh yelled at and like hit people with things to try to get demons out of them. And uh they uh they had to, uh, you can't, it turns out you can't do that. Hit, hitting is bad? According to uh, the, the, I was going to say great state, but let's not go nuts. The state of North Carolina, that's, um, that, that's a little bit of a, too much of a whoopsie. <laughs> oh, was, was that bad? Should I not have done that? <laughs> Might as well have been their defense. But what we turn our attention to is a real thing that is a, a appears to be a scan of a five-page document of do's and don'ts. Oh my or, gosh. Uh, now, do's and don'ts, I want to be clear. There are five do's. Hold on. The people are going to think you're making this that we are making this stuff up, Matt. We have to be I, clear. I will include a link to the Instagram post from our friends at uh Cultish to let you where you can everybody stuff. There are five do's and one hundred and forty-five don'ts. <laughs> and on some level, I can't think of a better encapsulation of modern American evan evangelicalism than five do's and 145 don'ts. Oh yeah. Yeah. So let's go through the do's. You will be required to attend every service. If for some reason unforeseen at this time, you miss a service, you'll be required to listen to the tape at the church. Oh, the tape. 
the tape at the church. This is a parenthetical. We're starting off very strong with number one here. Death, severe illness, and surgery may be considered excused absences. <laughs> Maybe. We'll see. The funny thing about that is I assume that by death they mean like a bereavement of a, of a loved one dealing with something. But considering that it's listed only with severe illness and surgery, I don't think we can rule out the fact that they're saying death is no excuse for missing church. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you pass away, you must still come to the service. Your ghostly apparition must come back to the church <laughs> to listen to the tape. You will haunt this church. <laughs> That's right. Mandatory Jed's ghost, stop goofing around and clap your hands to the hymn. <laughs> <laughs> so Join Jesus, shine. We know you don't have to sing in the ghost voice. Stop it. <laughs> That's a choice you're making. It's a disruptive one. Number two, you will be required to tithe 10% of your gross earnings and give offerings. Oh, okay. Jane, um, which we should point this out here, is the name of the, uh, is the founding pastor. Uh, we have uh, Jane Whaley and her husband, Sam Whaley, uh, converted a former steakhouse to a chapel in 1979. That was the kickoff of Word of Faith Fellowship. Uh, so uh, tithing, 10% gross, and we'll know. And offerings. Jane will check your records from time to time. <laughs> good. So, good. We're only two into this. Death is no excuse, and we will be auditing your bank statements to make sure you're coughing up the cash. So that's cool. Okay. Um, you will be required to smile on command. This is called, quote, keeping your happy face. Wow. That is full on serial killer stuff. Yeah. Jed's ghost, smile on command. <laughs> happy! Those of a certain age, we've gotten very quickly into Buffalo Bill from Silence of the Lambs territory. Yeah, yeah we have. <laughs> like, man, that happened quick. Uh, four, you'll be required to participate in group work projects. Enjoy it. We oh, have wow. need of many skills. I read that verbatim. Group work <laughs> projects. Enjoy it. Okay. That is... Uh, Here's the thing, and all three of us have done a fair amount of prison ministry at this point. Everyone in a, in a, most people in a jail or prison facility do actually have some kind of job. You might yeah. have to work in the laundry or work in the kitchen or whatever. Even they don't say, even they don't make you enjoy it. Yeah. You don't have to pretend yeah. like you like it, even in jail. In many ways, the jail facility would prefer you didn't. So <laughs> yeah. it's, you're, you're free to not enjoy it. There is, there's often on the deck some guy who maybe he likes food or he just like, and he does kind of, in the making a best of a bad situation, enjoy his job. And sometimes you can just see that annoy the COs. Yeah. 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 Uh, number five, and our final do. After each service, you are required to clean the church and fellowship hall on a rotating basis. Okay. Here's the thing. And it's, it's, a, it's thin competition. You should have opened with that one because it's by far the least crazy. Yeah. 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 Totally. Like, there's a, you're not that far from like. Please sign up. To, for, we would like everyone to participate in the cleanup team on a quarterly basis or something that's kind of normal. Right. Here's a fun thing about that. So, like, a, a crossover, a foreshadowing, oh. which is also kind of, you know, ties with, like, ghastly apparitions of later in this episode when we might be talking about megachurch stuff. Like, one of the things that megachurches do, like, for real, real, is they, they hire consulting firms um, to answer all kinds of questions. And one of them is, 
how much money can we get out of this community? Um, that's, you know, it's a business for them and it's a big question. So they're trying to figure that out. And so they also have a sense when people give, at least in megachurch context of what percentage they're likely to give. And I can't speak for smaller churches, but I can, I can tell you that for megachurches, no one gives close to 10%, yeah. not even close. Well, it's it's no. like, if they had people in that church giving 10%, they would die of happiness. Like they would, they would never be sad again. They, they would have all yeah. the jumbotrons in the world. I say that <laughs> to say this. With this church, if you're in some weird cultic way forcing people to give 10%, you definitely have money to hire a janitorial staff. Like, yeah, that's, that's true. You're squared away, dude. Like you, so like my immediate question, which is also for the mega churches, where's the money going? Cause again, if you're strong arming people into mm. giving 10%, you got a lot of cash there, bro. Where is all that sweet, sweet steakhouse money going? Well, I think we, we, we may have one discrepancy here as Jed is pointing out, which is normally when you're a mega church either starting off or an existing one planting a new campus, you're hiring uh, whatever ghoulish consultancy firm you're hiring up front. And there, no megachurch has ever opened a campus in a really nice neighborhood by accident. Nope. The American no. megachurch movement op- started, most people would kind of agree, with Willow Creek in Chicagoland area. And Chicagoland, the part of it is called Barrington. And last time mm. I was in Barrington, there was a Ferrari in the parking lot of the restaurant I was in. Yeah, because that's Barrington, yeah, not yeah. a coincidence. So I, I, I don't. I wonder if we have a little bit of you got to get ten percent out of quite a few people in Spindale, North Carolina, to to get up to snuff. But don't worry, they're going to double check. I assume the people at the local bank are very tired of Jane coming in with people. <laughs> <laughs> and having to explain why no we cannot show you their account records so yes uh five do's and now 145 don'ts we will not be reading <laughs> through all of these don't worry we'll be picking out some highlights but i do want to open with about the first uh seven all the theme number one don't drink alcohol includes beer wine or liquor yes those are alcohols good job uh number two don't cook with alcohol so you take that peasant French cookbook and you get it right out of here. We're not doing that. <laughs> Three, don't eat at places that serve alcohol. So, so far, um, insane, certainly, but eh, not really that much more than the Baptist church down the road. They're just putting it in writing. So let's be clear. Um, here, here's four, five, six, and seven. Don't drink root beer. Don't drink cheer wine. Don't drink diet cheer wine. Don't drink ginger ale. I like how you can drink diet root beer. They didn't That's say true. you couldn't. That's a nice true. diet barks. Well, I was I was uh, p- p- picking through this and just uh, obviously my 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 eye when we were first shown this went to don't reach your one. And that's when I declared a fatwa on these people. Yes. Um, you know, a, a fatwa, a crusade, any kind of holy war you want to engage in upon these people. I'm with you. Yeah. For just banning cheer wine and diet cheer wine, which is all the taste and none of the calories. If anything, yes. it's, it's the sign of a loving God. How dare you, madam? <laughs> And I just thought, well, they're just being weird because I hadn't read the whole thing yet. And it was my wife who pointed out, no, they just also don't want you to drink sodas that sound like alcohol. Yep. That's right. That's cuckoo pants. Yeah. Root beer, cheer yeah. wine, ginger ale. Like, did you just not look at the can and realize, like, yeah, it's, it's can't risk it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the one thing Matt didn't let you guys know, which is at the very top of the list of don'ts, they let you know this is a partial living list. Ah. It can be added to. Ah. <laughs> Continuing to grow. 
they do not mention that they will ever take anything off the list. If the, yeah, if they if anybody from if if Jane or Sam Whaley were listening to this episode, they might go back in there and do uh, uh, number four A. Don't drink diet root beer. Don't listen to that <laughs> podcast guy. We don't allow the diet root beer. I think if Jane or Sam Whaley ever listened to a single second of this show, they would spontaneously combust. Yeah. <laughs> I have a question for, for the round table. So they've not mentioned cream soda. Now, at first, you would think it would be fine because cream doesn't sound anything like alcohol. However, cream is the name of a hit Wu-Tang song. So the question uh, is, does that proximity make it verboten? That would, I wow. believe, prerequisite Jane or Sam Whaley knowing what the Wu-Tang Clan is. I take you back to my point about spontaneous combustion. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nothing to what with? <laughs> Will this list allow me to protect my neck? I just need to know. <laughs> well, I think that's just good safety. Well, I do think... Probably the closest you're going to get is that the people that do attend this church probably would say, Jane and Sam Whaley raised me. Ah, sure. Nah. Word of faith is for the children. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I like about this section, and it comes up in some others, so they, they again, this is a crudely put together, clearly Word document. So when they say don't drink cheer wine or diet cheer wine, it has the little registered trademark circle over it. Yeah, I really oh, wow. appreciate that. Which I like, they, and they do that on some other ones a little further down. I, and I like the idea of, oh, we consider it the devil, but we do respect the trademark law. Absolutely, <laughs> as God intended. Even on our internal documents where that's not required in any way, shape, or form. So you've got some normal uh, after that. Don't smoke, don't dip snuff, don't chew tobacco. Uh, don't associate willingly with those who, use, who do use tobacco, <laughs> which would prevent me from ever seeing my family, which would be a bit awkward. It just depends on if any of those familial obligations are willing or unwilling. You can apparently hang out with them if it's unwilling on your <laughs> yeah, part. Well, if, if, they, if they kidnap you, it's fine. You're totally in the clear. You just can't sign up for it. I didn't drive there. There was a bag over my head. Do any of us willingly go to Thanksgiving <laughs> at this point? That's a really no. good question. <laughs> no. Then uh, things get wacky again. Uh, number 12, don't watch movies. Okay. Unless Jane gives approval. <laughs> and I like the idea that that's purely on artistic merit. Yeah, that's right. Like yeah, Jane's right. just a real cinephile, and you're like, the new Wes Anderson movie? She's like, I, that, that whole centering things in the shot, that was cute for like two movies. I'm over it now. <laughs> <laughs> Look, if you want to watch Bottle Rocket, sure. Rushmore, maybe. Life Aquatic, get out of here with that nonsense. Don't even try. <laughs> that's right. That's not, not, Bill Murray's not giving savant performances. He's just not trying. That's not the same thing. <laughs> I love how, uh, number, uh, don't number 16 is don't listen to the radio. But when you go to their website, they have a whole heading about their radio programs. Well, that's to trap you. Be like, <laughs> oh, brother Darren, did you like the, the sermon on the radio show this morning? Oh, I really did. How did you know about that, brother Darren? <laughs> yes don't listen to the radio um i and i love that there's just some random like uh we'll see this throughout the list just some random like pretty good advice in there number 13 don't watch videos in your car no that's good you shouldn't do that you should focus sure. yeah. when you're driving yeah there's one a, a a long way down the list that's like don't 
uh, spend too much time in the sun without wearing sunscreen. And you're like, yeah, that's, that seems reasonable. I don't know if I need to go to my pastor for that advice, but it's good advice. <laughs> yeah. But then there's also one that says, don't read or handle magazines. Yeah. Yeah. That's how the, that's how the magazine demons get into you. <laughs> my pastor <laughs> said, I can't work in this dentist office anymore. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> there's also things that are just completely untenable. If you ha- actually have human beings, which like, I refer you gentlemen to number 51. Don't allow your toddlers to eat in the sanctuary. I, I'm sorry. If you've got a toddler, you got to have snacks. That's just the way human, human babies work. Yeah. Yeah. A, a, a small digression. One of my favorite things I've ever seen, I may have shared this on the show at the time, but several years ago, I was, I was on vacation. I got the chance to go to London, and I went to Evensong at Westminster Abbey, and it was super cool, and it's like free to the public. It's a great way to see that without having to pay or stand in the line. But uh, there was a, a couple there that had like two toddlers who did not care that this was Westminster Abbey, did not care that this was even song. They were losing their minds. And everyone was like from the from like the church people to the people who just were like a museum were super cool and super understanding. Yep. But it was like, you know, in the middle of the singing and what, and there was a big dramatic pause and just children screaming. And at the time, I took a lot of comfort in, oh, so this happens to literally everybody. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And yeah. to Lee's point, you know what solved that? Snacks. Mm-hmm. Mom getting that kid out of the seat, taking him inside, little thing of, of uh, gummies, that's all good. That's, that's, that's why they invented goldfish crackers, guys. Yeah, you, you don't want to try to do the church service where there's no goldfish. And I want to be clear, because I want to be fair to our, our toddler brethren and our toddler listenership, which I assume we have, is <laughs> I don't think this is just toddlers. Look, I you know, we all go through hard times. When I'm having a rough day... If you hand me a can of Pringles sour cream and onion, I'm feeling better. Yeah, At least sure. for the duration of that can, I am feeling better. So <laughs> who am I to judge the toddler scenario? I'm basically a toddler. You're like, look, I've been having a hard day. I'm really down. You think I'm just going to pop the top and feel better? Takes first bite. I do feel better. Thanks. That's really <laughs> great. I really appreciate your help in this hard, in this hard time. <laughs> Turns out the only thing I was missing was a little crisp sour cream and onion flavor. (laughs) So then we we get a weird, like just a bunch, again, a couple of like weird, good ideas. Uh, Don't bring knives of any, all caps, type to the serve on church property. Again, we're in North Carolina. Uh, Then there's a bunch of places about just where not to park, which, uh, you know, that's that's cool. Don't park in the first handicap space unless approved. I hope they mean approved by the state, like by having the thing, but probably not. Um, but here's a, here's a very, very strange one at uh, number 21. Don't take notes during the services. Only record scripture references. Is that because you're saying some real weird stuff? You don't want there to be a record of it? <laughs> yeah, that's got a lot of, uh, I didn't consent to this phone call being recorded. Yeah. Yeah, the, and I mean, what's the? I think you're pointing out the the most interesting thing about this list, Matt, which is just the waffling back and forth from just random good advice, like uh, the one that says, "Don't forget to go to the bathroom before the service." That's just a good idea. That's yeah, good advice. And then and then you slide on down the list, and it's like, "Don't take pictures of Jane." Yep. And you're like, good. "Everybody, calm down." 
How about number 48? Don't be loose with your camera at any time. I, I don't even know what that means. I don't either, but it doesn't seem good. Uh, well, Lee mentioned, you know, don't forget to go to the bathroom for the service, which is very, very good advice. Um, this is, and, but then there's uh, the one right after it, which is where legalism always gets in trouble. And then, because the one after that says, don't get up to go to the bathroom during a service. Don't get up to go to the bathroom during a service is the letter of that rule. Yeah. It feels like a major oversight. Yeah. <laughs> are, you, are you saying there's another option that they've allowed, perhaps without intending to do so? <laughs> I'm saying if you just, uh, you know, let her rip right there in the seat, you did not technically break any rules. <laughs> Although they may move you up on the rotation to clean the uh, sanctuary at that point. Well, there is that. And again, that would be fair. Yeah. <laughs> I think we need to have uh, Jed address rule number 41 let me see let me give me a second to let's see rule number 41 don't close your eyes when singing you could get over give over to a quote religious devil unquote well i mean obviously as opposed to a secular devil oh totally (laughs) totally i mean that devil is so pious i share concerns about religious devils i i guess i first of all i don't know what it means to give over to one can can I get some clarification on that? Because that like that's not how words work. Like what what is that? Yeah. So that would be that would be my first concern. The the don't close your eyes when singing. Like, I, you know, I make a lot of music and I really like music, but I, I I do feel the need to point this out. It's just sounds. It's just noise. <laughs> like it's not opening a portal to the spiritual realm. So it's <laughs> like. Like, if you've drawn a pentagram in goat's blood and you've lit candles, like, maybe you are providing a path for the Dark Lord to come. But this, is, this isn't that. This is just, like, you know, a couple of chords and a couple of notes. It's, it's probably cool. I don't think you need to be worried. I think we can safely say that if the combination of goat's blood and a pentagram plus, like, uh, Norwegian black metal could summon Satan, it would have happened by now. So maybe yeah. we need to try like a pentagram, goat's blood, progressive house. Yeah. <laughs> I, I really like the idea that the devil is sitting, you know, in hell, like holding a chalice. And then, you know, and he's like, like you look up at the sky, you see all these people trying to summon him. Cause like every time someone draws a pentagram of goat's blood, it's like a little, you know, like a little light flickers overhead. And then suddenly he hears, Oh damn, that's Kenny G. I love that stuff. And that's the place he shows up. That would, exactly. Exactly. The devil does. He devil likes to keep it smooth too. <laughs> like the, the dark Lord enters in. And the first thing he wants to talk about is like, did you guys know that Kenny G is able to breathe and keep playing at the same time? He's like the only guy in the world. That? How does he do that? It's called circular breathing. It's crazy. Like, I want to be clear. He didn't make a deal with me to do that. He just figured out how to do that. Like I would have made a deal, but that's incredible. I love the idea of combining rule 41 with rule 42. So, okay. So rule 41, don't, don't close your eyes when you're singing because you could give over to a religious devil. So a religious devil could maybe show up at the service. Rule number 42, don't stare at visitors. Oh, especially if it's a religious devil that just showed up because Marjorie (laughs) closed her eyes when singing Marjorie. I, I will say, however, up to this point, Rule 42 is the only one I would be comfortable with churches adopting in mass. <laughs> <laughs> I just leave the visitors alone, guys. We have a time for visitors. 
That's right. And just just stop it after that. Yeah. So yeah, there's a lot there's a lot of banana stuff in here. One one uh thing I will say not in defense, but just as a, a, a cuz you know, we like to keep it balanced on the show. One positive I will say about this list is it has a lot of um dress code things as you would expect. But this may be the only piece of Christian cultural ephemera I've ever seen that has as many, if not more, insane rules for men dressing than women. So that's yeah, kind that's of progressive something. in its own way, I guess. Yeah, like apparently uh, men have to shave their whole face all the time. You cannot show up at a service with any kind of facial hair. And then it specifically points out no pork chop sideburns, which... I wanted to, it just immediately, I wanted to be that guy who's like, yeah, but do you, do you allow mutton chops? <laughs> yeah, that does. If we change the animal. Because nothing is more, we started this church in 1979 than specifying pork chop sideburns. <laughs> One of the rules for, for men dressing is do not wear any color dress shirt other than white or blue. Yeah. Which is uh, insanely... Uh, so, uh, rule number 66, don't wear black tennis shoes. However, there's also a rule that says don't wear any all-white tennis shoes. <laughs> Only a nice gray. Only a nice gray. I like the idea of somebody coming in with, like, the insane hyper-color sneakers and then being like, no, that's, that's what we were hoping you do. That's great. <laughs> don't wear sleeveless dresses or tops. Don't allow facial hair. Again, all these kind of normal things. Don't interview for a job unless it's, quote, under authority. Wow. Which is really weird because in all these other ones that are just like, you'd approve what just straight up says, unless Jane or Sam is ever, that's the only one that has under authority. Yeah. There's also, and, and, and before I read this, I want to remind you, dear listener, that in 1979, Jane and Sam Whaley started this church out of a, you know, a sagebrush or a western sizzlin or something like that. This is the rule. A golden corral. Yeah. Don't <laughs> decorate your house unless Jane or her helper can help you. What? So I have to let the lady who started this church 43 years ago, I have to let her decorate my house. And look, uh, gentle listener, I am not one to comment on anyone's appearance on the internet, much less uh, a woman. But if you want to Google Jane Whaley, um, you may wonder yourself, what is a 80-year-old crazy church lady who runs a church in rural North Carolina look like? You're right. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm glad you pointed that out, Lee, because that it comes below. Do not buy a house unless Jane Whaley, for some reason in that one they gave both names, can check it out. Don't even make an offer on a house unless Jane can, and this is in weird scare quotes, check out and get a feel for the neighborhood. Get a feel for the neighborhood. I don't know what that could be pointing to, Matt. Me either, but we want to make sure we get eyes on the neighborhood. Uh, Before that, and this uh, may uh, give us uh, some insight, because uh, apparently before they founded this uh, wacky-ass church, uh, Brother Sam uh, ran a car lot. So don't Ah. buy a car without checking with Sam first. Don't sell a car or truck without checking with Sam first. And I really love it. At least kind of pointed to it uh, as we've been talking here. There's a combination of like just insane, weird illegalism, but then it's also just like the way boomers are with their kids and grandkids in general. 
yeah. that bleeds into this list. Like, well, I'll go down to the car lot with you. I know all their tricks. Yeah. Like, did you like, la- here's the thing. Um, credit ratings were invented within my lifetime. Um, like in the late eighties. So Sam, when was the last time you did buy a car? Because <laughs> if it's before credit ratings were a thing, I don't think you know that many tricks. Yeah. Yeah. Then uh, we get into a very, very strange run here in the eighties. Uh, don't don't go. Don't plan a vacation or any time with your family unless you check it out with Jane. So that's cool. Don't assume you can go to a funeral or wedding of a family member without checking it out and or someone from the church going with you. Wow. That leads us. You may think, well, that's pretty weird. They certainly can't follow that up immediately with something even more insane. And that brings us to number 91. Don't celebrate Christmas. Nope. (laughs) (laughs) Ding, 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 ding. Which we've added, that adds another flavor to this stew of insanity. We've had kind of charismatic. We've had uh, just good old Southern uh, legalism. We've had the the old time. Now we've got Puritan level insanity. Because one of the things that happened uh, during the Cromwell rule of the Puritan rule of England is they outlawed Christmas because that's how Christian they were. Yeah. Wow. Is there a reason for that? They they didn't feel that it was... uh, they felt that celebrating a holiday was not very, uh, not very Christian. They didn't care for it. Wow. We can't have revelry, Jed. Man, apparently not. Don't celebrate Easter. <laughs> Here's the thing. Obviously, I'm going to keep celebrating Christmas. I like it very much. But at least you could give, like, it's not really in the Bible. Like, I mean, the birth sure. happens, but none of the other stuff. Like, yeah. Easter. Yeah, that's in there. Jesus has a Passover dinner. Yeah, that's why we're uh, having church on Sundays, folks. That's the whole bag. Yes. Don't celebrate other holidays. <laughs> ah. Don't eat turkey on Thanksgiving. So I guess you can celebrate that, but you got to have ham? Yeah, well, nice spiral cut ham is fun. Okay, don't celebrate your birthday or others in your family, group of friends, or coworkers. So now I'm starting to think they've just lifted the weird things from other, like, cause that's Jehovah's witnesses. Yeah. yeah, That's a Jehovah's witness thing. So I did these people just go around and take all the most unpleasant parts of other faith traditions. Folks, we've got a research project. Find anything in any religion that saps joy. Write it down. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Number 97. Don't celebrate wedding anniversaries. Something tells me Sam may have gotten that word from the Lord when he forgot a wedding anniversary. (laughs) Oh, honey, I, I'd love to have remembered, but that would be of Satan. The Lord forbids it. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, this is going to hurt. Uh, this is going to hurt Jed most of all. Number 104. Don't buy or drive a race car looking car. Oh, I'm sorry. That's no fun. Um, and you would think, well, at least I can make up for that with uh, personalizing. This 102. Don't have, again, I'm quoting directly in quotation marks, Dingle dangles hanging from your rearview mirror. <laughs> I was hoping you were going to read I that one so I don't know what that means. Yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. Here, here's the, the, the one where I was. I This one, for some reason, is where I lost it. 101, don't have bumper stickers on your car. Now that, in general, I would agree with. Here's This is the parenthetical. Political season is an exception. Oh, yeah. is it? <laughs> I when I first is. read that, because I just, you know, when your brain tries to force a sentence to make sense to you, 
I read parentheses, political season is no exception. And I thought, well, we got one I agree with. Oh, wait, no, it's the only exception. Don't have any interests or anything you like want to express. But if you do want to badger people about politics, that's cool. Yeah. So then there's a long run of uh, things that they don't want you to do, which includes, you know, a lot of the normal stuff, video games and whatnot. Um, some stuff you'd be surprised from a church in rural North Carolina, like no hunting and no fishing. Uh, no fishing unless it is on an approved ministry trip, but ministry is in quotation marks, which is very ominous. Yeah. Yes. We're going out on the lake to do some ministry. Ministry. In the boat. <laughs> um, and again, you'd expect uh, playing cards, uh, Game Boys again. Uh, don't play hide and go seek. Cool. Well, it's deceptive, Matt. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. We should not you be heard hiding call... from the Lord or anyone else. Yeah, I, I, you know, you heard me call your name. Oh, <laughs> we don't play hide and go seek in this church. We play your sin will find you out. Oh! You stand out in the open and confess to the wrong you've done. Oh gosh, the the what's crazy? I mean, well, I mean, this whole thing is crazy. But <laughs> yeah. I love, I love one fifteen. Don't play or imitate air guitar. <laughs> and let's be clear, there is no playing of air guitar. It's only imitating. Yeah. Don't yeah. play or imitate air guitar. Well, yeah. Lee, you're not quite getting right there because it does say don't play or imitate an air guitar. There's a definite oh. article there, which I find fascinating. <laughs> and air guitars in quotes. Yep. And uh, number 110, don't play Monopoly. Again, register trademark. We do think it's satanic. But we are not trying to violate uh, trademark law. We, we do respect capitalism. Yeah. And then in the middle of that whole run, 112, don't ride in the back of a pickup truck. And once again, that's just good, sensible advice. Yeah. <laughs> hey, so this reminds me of the neighborhood thing. Don't let Word of Faith Fellowship children play with children outside of Word of Faith Fellowship. Yeah. Nothing ominous about that. Uh, number 117, don't whistle. I feel like that one comes with a... Don't whistle, Gary. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is like, if if this church even has a problem with the Andy Griffith show. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. A number 116 is fascinating to me. Don't play music without singing the words. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, keep your eyes open because you don't want to do the, the devil thing. So. Yeah. Well, I, I'm sure you're going to get into this, Matt, but the, the string of things where they sort of take it back in the parentheses. Yeah. Don't let maybe. children make animal sounds. May, maybe. Yeah. Um, don't I mean, let that's children just have so Bibles weird. with stories and pictures of Jesus. Maybe. <laughs> it's like the maybe. It's like, wait, is it a rule or isn't it? Can the kid make an animal sound or can't he? I, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip right to uh, 145 here. This is the final one, and this is kind of a real, uh, this is the Calvin ball of it all. Uh, the final one, the final two, actually. Number 144, don't attack those in authority. Number 145, don't question Jane's authority to run Word of Faith Fellowship. Wow, dude. Yeah, that's, um, well, actually, I, I, I lied, so I'm closing there. I'm going to give you my favorite, maybe bit of legalism I've ever run into. And number 121, don't forget to read your Bible before you go to bed, which is, I guess, uh, fine. Uh, number 20, don't read your Bible too much. Amplified version is acceptable. 
Okay. Read it before you go to bed, but not too much. And the amplified version. Maybe. 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 Which I've never heard legalism about the amplified version before. <laughs> like <laughs> King James, I would have expected to sit there, but maybe they just really like footnotes. So that's Word of Faith Fellowship. Again, we will uh, we will link to this uh, Facebook post in the description because so you can peruse that for yourself. But um, we that's obviously a bit longer than the emergency segment normally goes. But we really felt that that deserved some more explanation and exploration. Wow! And it brings us to our one question for this episode, which we spend the rest of our time on, comes into our email inbox and said. Particularly in light of recent scandals, I've been considering if there's a place for the megachurch today. What size church is too big? Where's the line between having nice visuals, lights, etc., and being a distraction? So a great question, and one we, we've talked, obviously, at and near over the years on this show. We've mentioned the megachurch a lot. We've been uh, entertained a lot of questions about the megachurch. And the place we have tried to land uh, best we can, as often as we can, is different things work for different people. We, we definitely believe that um, we, we all on this show know people who have had, I was going to say a good experience. That's probably overselling it. Have had a season in their life where a mega church was useful to them. Um, so we don't want to discount all of that, but I think there's a very, very interesting discussion to be had. And Lee, maybe let's, let's, I'd love to get you to start us off as someone who, who's obviously thinks a lot about what churches should do and be because you, you work for and help run one. Um, where do we start with a question this big when it comes to just thinking about what, what churches should do and, and be and have? Yeah. I mean, it is a, it is a really great question and Matt's exactly right. It, it, ultimately, whether or not it has a place, you know, it, if people run them and they continue to function, they're going to continue to exist for a lot of those types of organizations. If they are if they are solvent, if they are profitable, if they can keep the thing moving, if they can, if they can keep perpetuating it, it will continue ex- to exist. A deeper and more important question for me, if I were looking for a church to go to, is the question, what are churches for? Yep. Like, why, why do we even do this at all? Um, the whole thing about the state of your soul the Bible says anybody who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved, period, the end. Um, so you don't need church, you don't need to continue to go to a church in order to be like extra saved or anything like that. So if it's not to, you know, to keep the state of your salvation or anything like that, because it definitely is not, then what is it supposed to do? Biblically, what the church did um like in the you know the book of acts when they were first founding churches when you look at the letters of the apostle paul or the apostle peter or the apostle john writing to folks who were a part of churches the kinds of things that they cared about were like the the reason a church would exist is that a group of people who believed in jesus would come together basically to walk each other through the difficult life that they live that's the point of it um, we're going to come together and we're going to worship the Lord together. We're going to sing. We're going to hear some people tell, you know, testify to their relationship with Jesus or talk about some scriptures. 
But the heartbeat of why we do this is we are here to take care of each other, to meet each other's needs, to, and to walk each other through a difficult life. I'm here to support you. You're here to support me. We're here to take care of each other. Some days I'm going to be on my last legs, and you're going to be doing really well. And you're going to carry me across the finish line this week. Some days I'm going to be, I'm going to be doing really well and you're going to be having a really hard time and I'm going to be the one that's pumping you up. This is traditionally, this is what groups of believers have always done for each other. A really, really interesting thing is that more and more research says that for a lot of folks who have been going to church for a long time, there is a huge movement among a lot of people to really find their point of connection and the thing that really means something to them in smaller and smaller groups of believers, people that are meeting in living rooms, people that are meeting in restaurants or very small churches, because what they're finding is the thing that is of most value to what a church does is people who I care about who care about me walking me through my life, and I'm walking them through their life. We're here to take care of each other, to meet each other's needs, and to walk each other home. That is the heartbeat of what a church is supposed to do. There's other cool things that churches can do. There's other cool things that, there's cool things that big churches can do that small churches can't. There's cool things that small churches do well that big churches cannot do at all. But the heartbeat of why a church exists, why I would go to one if I wasn't in the one I'm in, if I was looking for one, I would look for one where the primary heartbeat of that place is welcome. We're a group of people who believe in Jesus, who want to take care of each other and walk each other through this difficult life. Yeah, I think that's a fantastic place to to start. And Jed, I'd love to turn to you here, because one of the things Lee mentioned there, I think is very important that people uh, have and do, and maybe are beginning to more find that spiritual connection, that growth in in smaller uh, groups and smaller areas. And one of the ways the megachurch movement has tried to grapple with that is by really putting front and center, oh, well, sure, there's this giant thing on Sunday morning, Saturday night, whatever, but it's you know, your cell group or your small group or whatever. It's really the lifeblood of this whole thing. And maybe... Uh, it's a great plan. We've never really seen it bear out that way. And maybe one of the ways we can look at how serious they are about that is, is the messaging about that stuff or is it about the guy? Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, like a cult of personality is a, certainly a fine business model for an entertainment empire. And a great song. Absolutely it is. I've got the guitar running through my head right now. Um, so if you want to be a progressive rock metal band in the late eighties, that was way ahead of their time. Or if you just want to sell, you know, entertainment generally building everything around a personality is a great idea, but it actually doesn't work at all from a ministry standpoint. And, and the reason is pretty simple. A pastor who doesn't know your name is not your pastor. Yep. That that's it, man. Like, it's kind of like saying a therapist that doesn't know your name is not your therapist. If if your therapist doesn't know you, they cannot provide therapy to you. That's... My therapist, Fraser Crane. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. I turn on the screen and absorb his wisdom. You know, and, and so there's there's a few reasons for this. You know, again, a pastor who doesn't know your name is not your pastor. 
a lot of this has to do with the job of a pastor. A pastor is not meant to be this distant figure that has really wise thoughts and speaks them and you you behold his splendor. A pastor is kind of like a spiritual doctor. Uh, that's that's actually the point, and which is a metaphor that Jesus used, by the way. Um, your literal physical medical doctor cannot help you if they do not know you. Um, if they don't know you, if they don't know your history, if they don't know your situation, your doctor cannot help you. Well, it's a similar thing. If your pastor doesn't know you, they, they don't have the ability to help you. Um, and one of the things, I mean, we all know this is true, but I, I think actually it's one of the few advantages of the internet age is realizing one size does not fit all. There is very, very, very little advice in the world that applies to all people at all times in all situations. So given that one size does not fit all, you need someone who knows your situation. Uh, if, if you're a person of faith and you want your faith to be a part of, of your life and to be a source of strength, having someone who can provide some guidance to you can be a great thing. But, man, that person has to know you uh, for that to work, for that to, to do its deal. Here's the second thing in terms of left and right limits is this isn't limited to megachurches. This applies all over the place. Anytime that you take one person and you give them a bunch of money, power, attention, approval, praise, it's going to lead to bad things. It's going to tempt them to abuse all of those resources. It's not a guarantee yeah. that they, they will always abuse those resources, but it is always a temptation. Uh, the, the old maxim that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely is true. Uh, at the very least, power always tempts us to corruption, and absolute power absolutely tempts us to corruption. But again, it's not just power. It's money. It's fame. It's influence. It's attention. It's approval. It's you know Q rating. It's all these things. If you give a person a bunch of that stuff, you're putting an enormous temptation on them to misuse those things. And I think one of the things that we're living through right now is realizing how many places in life that kind of misuse of those resources, you know, which often becomes full on abuse, how constant that is, how, how rife um, all of these industries, everything you could think of is with instances of that happening. And man, uh, the church is not an exception to that. So if, if you want to be in a situation where you, you've got a pastor and they do know you and they do know your name and they are invested in your life, in many ways, the worst thing you could do for them is to give them limitless power and money and attention and approval and praise. That's not good for them. And by proxy, it's, it's not good for you. So at the very least, I think there's more we could say, but at the very least, we need to start with those with some left and right limits. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. That's another really, really great point. And we get to that point, as, as Jed is pointing out, that we now have something that is at dual purpose. Mm. There's what a church is supposed to be and do, and you know, there's different definitions of that, or whatever. But once we get mega, we must maintain our meganess. That's yep. right. And that brings its own best practices, its own philosophies, its own ecosystems. And again, we're never going to sit here on the show and tell you, go to this type of church, not that type of church, as long as it falls within theological bounds, obviously, um, if they want you to uh, not bring any visitors that are unapproved and uh, don't drink cheer wine, eh, probably don't go to that church. Pretty comfortable saying that one. But <laughs> um, but one thing I think we definitely can do is put the megachurch in some context because uh, both in the sense of the scandal, but even without that, just in having been doing this kind of stuff for a long time, all of us, um, we have heard from a lot of people who have had bad megachurch experiences. 
And there's a lot of themes that come up over and over again from different churches in different states, in different countries, over different spans of time. And that points to some systemic issues and similarities that we can safely say are there. Now, it's up to the individual to decide if that's if that works for them or not. That's totally fine. But I think we feel comfortable having had enough of those conversations over enough years to say that those are, are definitely there. And as, as Jed points out, if the guy who has the title of pastor's actual job is somewhere between um, lead motivational speaker, chief fundraiser, and CEO, and... Everyone who takes a job at this church probably kind of wants that to be their job one day too. Yep. So they're between what the organization values and what they might want to do. You're going to get a lot of the same type of people trying to do a lot of the same type of thing. Yeah. So that leaves things like everything from cleaning the church to running the children's ministry to doing hospital visits to uh, being a person who is in someone's life and knows their struggles that gets outsourced to small group leaders and volunteers and lots of people who are totally not paid and are in fact being asked to give 10% uh, for the, for the uh, possibility to do this. And that is again, a very, that is a setup that is not necessarily a problem, but boy, does it lead to a lot of problems. And Lee, when we think about the minefields and the issues that come up over and over again with this megachurch setup, what are some of those that we see and how much of those do tie back to just, we need a lot of people to run this. We need to stay yeah. profitable. So we do it how we do it. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you hit a couple of issues right on the head. I mean, one, you do need depending on the meganess of this mega church, you have to have an absolute army of volunteers. Now, as anybody will tell you that's ever run an organization that, re- that requires any volunteer help, the way to do that best is to know your volunteers, to know what they go through, to know what they need, and to make sure that they're equipped to do that. If you're a mega enough organization you just got to put those people through. I mean, you just got to have a, a lot of folks and and you wind up wearing them down like batteries. As a person who's who's been a pastor at a very small church for um, 19 years at this point, the thing I can tell you is every single person who's ever come to us after a megachurch experience has said some version of this. I felt like I was a battery there that got completely depleted and then kicked out of the machine. And that is a very, very common experience. And it's because they simply have to have to deploy so many volunteers that they can't, there, there is no ability to take the type, the type of time and personal care that you've got to, to make sure that volunteers feel um, the things that feel cared about. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. And just to to piggyback on that point, the other thing you can't do is not fill those positions if you don't have people who are good fits for them. Right. That's a problem. Uh, The other thing you can't do is ever take your foot off the gas on the messaging that you all need to volunteer more. Yes. And so 
there's a there can be a constant feedback loop of I'm not doing enough. I'm also very tired. I'm also not getting a lot of personal attention. I'm also not hearing any, from anybody in leadership if I'm doing a good job. It's when you have volunteers, volunteer care ha- has to be personal and it has it has to be tender-hearted and it has to be patient. But if you're running a machine, you can't do any of those things. You just have to keep getting more and more volunteers. There is a there's kind of a perpetual motion um, nature to some of these things. Like you were saying, Mar- uh, Matt, earlier about just like we have to perpetuate this machine, which means that we have to have a certain amount of money coming in to keep the lights on, to keep the janitorial going, to keep the to keep the coffee brewing, to keep the heat on, all that kind of stuff, which means like if you have, you know, maybe certain weeks in the year where a lot of people are going to be on vacation or you have, you know, a weird weather type of situation, we just won't open the church at all because we're not going to actually get enough people to bring in enough money on that Sunday to keep all the facilities. We, we can't actually tip over to the point at which we can keep the facility perpetuated. But the problem is, is that this organization was supposed to be about worshiping the risen Jesus and ministering to people, but we can't even do it at all if we can't actually bring enough people into the building to perpetuate the the running the facility itself. Yeah, that's up to and including uh, if Christmas Day falls on a Sunday, there are some mega churches who just don't do just don't do church that day, right? Because they know they can't get in the same way that if you ran a store, you're probably not open on Christmas. Uh, not necessarily to give your employees a break, but just because you know not enough foot traffic is going to come in to uh, meet your financial obligations. I forget, what was, what was it, three or four years ago that uh, Christmas was on a Sunday? Around yeah. the country, there were just a bunch of megachurches yeah. that just did not yep. open. Absolutely. Well, and, and to your point, Matt, if you're, you know, if you're a Target or a TJ Maxx or something like that and you decide not to open because it's just financially, it's not a, it's not a good idea, well, that's fine. You know, I'll either go to a different store to buy the thing that I need, or I won't get, I won't buy that thing that day. But if the whole idea of the purpose of your organization is, is to worship the risen Lord and to encourage people and to meet their needs and to minister to them, well, we can't even do the thing that is the reason we're supposed to exist because we can't actually pay for the physical plant to operate today. That's how thin the margins are. Yeah, and that's a great point, uh, comparing it to a business case, because uh, to get on one of my own hobby horses, I do think that the megachurch has really been kind of ground zero for the weird kind of Reaganite, we run the church like a business because it's got to make a certain amount of payroll and it does all copycats, but also because a lot of these places, if you look at who's on the elder board or advisory board or whatever, it's the richest guys who come here. And that's why we got them. We want business consultancy. So naturally you get business decisions. But the thing about that is if you want to know what a business does, don't look at what it tells you it does. Look at how it makes the most money. Yep. Uh, As an example, Amazon does not make money by delivering packages to you. It does not make money by you watching anything on Amazon Prime. Those are a drop in the bucket of the balance sheet of how Amazon makes its actual money which is being the infrastructure that the internet is built on. Amazon Web Services. Yes, Amazon Web Services wow. makes Amazon 
the lion's share of their money. That's what they do. That other stuff is PR. So you don't think about the fact that one company essentially owns everything that the internet is on, which again, good, bad, or indifferent. That's what Amazon, Amazon's business is Amazon web service. You can tell because that's how they make the most money. If the way you bring in the most money is by getting that guy on stage and getting him to get people to put money in the basket. I have a hard time believing that that's just really kind of a minor thing compared to our wonderful, a small group equipping and our youth group and all this stuff that you may talk about, but when push comes to shove, you canceled Sunday service, not because you never canceled Sunday service when your small group leader couldn't be there. Right. You didn't even really cancel Sunday service when this dude couldn't be on the mic. You canceled Sunday service when you weren't going to get 5,000 butts in seats. Well, and, you know, we, we were talking earlier about, you know, what's the point of churches? And what is a church supposed to do? Why should they exist? Why should I go to one? Um, um, when you look at the New Testament, especially when you read, like, the Gospels, and you look at the ministry style of Jesus, um, there's... There's just no straight line between any of those things I just mentioned and any of the models of some of these gigantic churches. Again, it may be somebody's style, and they may get blessed by it in a lot of cool ways, but it is essentially built because of some of the financial margins and stuff that you're talking about there, Matt. The whole thing is predicated around the idea of we're doing a thing here. We want to get you to come in here to where our cool thing is happening. You coming here is the whole show, whereas the ministry model of the New Testament is uh, building doesn't matter, house doesn't matter, um, like uh, facilities doesn't matter. I'm going to go out and do outreach. I'm going to go out to where people need some help, and I'm going to reach them. I'm going to go get to know people I don't know, people who need a message of hope and forgiveness, grace, mercy, and love, and I'm going to tell them about that. If those people come back here, cool. If they go somewhere else, cool. We are on a mission to reach people and care about them. Um, and so th- there's a a major disconnect between the ministry style of basically everybody that you read about in the New Testament and the whole way that this model is built. I think that's also a really, really good point. And it brings us to uh, something we haven't touched on yet, but I think we'll piggyback kind of right on what Leah's saying there, which is this scandal aspect. And um, the megachurch, uh, the biggest ones you've all, we've all heard of and definitely um, been hit by scandal recently. Um, if you go to, as I am on right now, the just the Wikipedia page for megachurches, trying to find uh, some definitions, it mentions uh, the whole thing being started by Willow Creek and Hillsong. Yeah. And both of those have been on existent the verge of existential end because of the uh behavior of several people in leadership over the years, including up into and including their founders. But Jen, I think I'm I'm searching for a difference between large church and mega church. Because mm. those are different things, right? Technically, if you look up like whatever the whoever defines these things would define a mega church as a church with two thousand attendees. Sure. Which is actually not like huge. Sure. But there has to be something more to this mega church model and more to these problems that we're seeing to it than just a bunch of people in a building. As we're pointing out, we don't think that's a great, but that's certainly a problem. And maybe I wonder if this is where we bring in and we'll tie into the scandal. 
the idea of the brand. Yep. Because whether it is um, Hillsong, whether it's Willow Creek, whether it's a Harvest Bible Chapel here in Chicago, where the uh, main guy got busted doing a bunch of crazy financial crimes, be it again, and this is not megachurches because a megachurch by some definitions does not belong to a denomination, but large denominational churches or, or large denominations we've seen with several of them recently. There's this thing that happens when somebody does something that super is bad, where the first instinct is, well, we have to protect the church. And we have to you know, do what's best for the church before we deal with any of this. And I wonder if that doesn't point to something in this idea of the model. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think that's true, man. So, I mean, like, if we back up in time a little bit, I think a little bit of history may be helpful, right? So if you go back to, like, let's say the 1960s, the 1970s, there are no mega churches. There's no such thing as that. You know, there are just neighborhood churches. No, they vary in size. They vary in size from, you know, a church with 20 people to a church with, you know, several thousand people, you know, kind of depending where they are in the country and, and, you know, all kinds of variables. But the difference between a church with 20 people and a church with 2000 people is actually, it's, it's just a scale of the same thing. You know, yeah. the, the, the church That's with right. 2000 people probably has like five uh, services on a Sunday um, and a couple on Saturday. And so, you know, on any, at any given moment, there's maybe a hundred people in that room, you know, they're actually doing church. And so the difference to be a congregant really between, you know, the one church and the other is just not that much. It's just, you know, there's, there's church, right? So one of the things that guys like Billy Graham invented was the idea of the, the uh, evangelism crusade. The idea was, you know, in your town, you know, you've got a lot of people that, you know, don't know the Lord and they've never been to church and, and maybe, you're not sure how to talk to them. So what we're going to do is we're going to do a big event. We're going to get all the churches in this town together, and we're going to basically, we're going to put on a show and there will be music and there's going to be this guy. It's a really dynamic speaker. And we're going to try and encourage people to make a decision for Christ. Eh, you know, none of this is, is problematic so far. And because all of the churches in town are involved, the idea is that if somebody comes and they're not connected with the church, we will connect them that night with a church in their area that can then be a church for them and they can get plugged into that family of faith and it's and it's all good. This is a, a model that existed for a bunch of years and uh, it is not in any way a perfect model, but it is certainly true that plenty of people um, came to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and plenty of people found um, spirituality as a source of strength in their lives through Evangelical crusades like the ones done by the Billy Graham organization. Where the megachurch came from, starting in the early 1980s, was the idea of what if we had that big, exciting crusade where there's a band or there's a dynamic speaker and whatnot, and we just had that every single Sunday. And that's what church is now. You come and it's big and it's exciting and it's a whole thing. And here's the thing: it's like as just an idea, like oh, it's interesting. I, I you know, I, yeah, that's that's a that's an interesting idea. It has not worked very well. Like it just has not, it's not gone very well. And and the interesting thing about it is that the parts that have worked well are the big parts, the being big and exciting parts. Those parts have, have worked reasonably well. It's the church part that hasn't worked very well. It's the maintaining any connection with historically for thousands of years, what it meant for a person to go to church and to yeah. have a, a body of faith that they're connected with. Because basically what people realized is, and if you've been to concerts much, you, you will already know this is, man, stuff gets boring in a hurry. Like concerts actually get boring real, real fast. 
Um, you know, uh, you need something new to pump up the jam, you know? Yeah. You know, it was really exciting when you guys had a fog machine, but I've seen it the last several weeks. So what else you got? You're going to need another fog machine or you're going to need a laser light. You're, you're going to need something here to keep me excited. Oh, cool. You did a skit with costumes. I like costumes. That's pretty neat. Maybe next time do costumes and accents. Oh no, don't do accents. <laughs> I take that one back. <laughs> okay, so now this is about to link to what Matt was talking about in terms of both the brand and the model, is that if you follow this trend of you need to keep me engaged, you need to keep me excited. You know, you had laser lights and you had fog machines and you had skits. Maybe you should have videos, maybe you should have movies. What you're describing actually is entertainment. Yeah. And I'm not knocking that, but but you are describing entertainment. This is Maybe there's an inspirational quality to it, but this is media. You have created a mass media company. That That is the thing that you have created. There's not substantially a huge difference between what you are doing and what, for example, professional wrestling is doing. Professional wrestling is also a media approach that mixes live events and mass media and needs you to stay entertained so you keep buying stuff. There's actually not a huge difference between these two things. And that's not a There's knock. one major difference. I only enjoy one of them. <laughs> <laughs> and we don't we don't need Pastor to take that uh blazer off and flash the pecs. Absolutely. You're gonna feel the wrath of God and of these forty two inch pythons. Okay, so um <laughs> that's just power team USA. <laughs> I'm, I want to be clear, like megachurch is not my thing, but I'm actually, well, what I've said so far, I'm not knocking it. But what I am saying is you have this idea to combine big, exciting entertainment with church, church lost out and big, exciting entertainment remained. That's, that's what we have. Yeah. And if you want to really look at Hillsong, Hillsong was an incredibly effective entertainment empire. They were really good at it, man. They made a lot of catchy music that sounds great and people love. They put on all kinds of live events that people adore. They launched multiple bands that are hugely popular and have had millions and millions and millions and millions of listens. And if you want to, you can decide that it's all cool because this stuff's inspiring and it's helpful and probably somewhere in there someone got pointed to the Lord and, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure that they did. But again, none of that's church. None yeah. of that bears any resemblance to the historical understanding of what it means to be a part of a church body. I'm not saying that from a place of judgment. I'm not saying that I'm actually not saying that church is good and that entertainment is bad, but I'm saying they're not the same thing. And that at every stage, at every step, including when there are scandals, when people in the senior leadership had to decide between being an entertainment property and being a church. They have always chosen to be an entertainment property. They will continue to decide to decide to be an entertainment property. When someone in entertainment misbehaves, they sweep it under the rug and they try to hope no one thinks about it so they can keep selling you the next movie, the next CD. That's what mega churches do too, because they're an entertainment property. I think that's a great point. And it goes back to what Lee was saying earlier about making the margins. Um, this is, these are businesses and as such, they need to perpetuate. They have, yep financial obligations, they have financial goals. Um, so the idea that just because the core of this is totally rotten and it's not doing what it's supposed to do, as I think we can safely say it's doing in places like Hillsong, places that have had these, these huge sexual scandals and abuse scandals. Um, the idea of just shutting it down 
is not a thing. The idea of doing what, you know, decent people would do and just salting the earth here so nothing will ever grow again because that's how bad this is, is just not a thing. And, you know, Jed pointed to kind of the, the historicity here. And I want to maybe close on that idea because I, I'm, I struggle and I think a lot of people do to put the idea of modern megachurches in context. So I'm going to point to what a lot of people think the first megachurch was, and that is the uh, Metropolitan Tabernacle that uh, Charles Spurgeon preached in in London in the 1860s. So by the 1890s, when uh, Spurgeon died in 1892, so uh, according to Wikipedia, in 1891, the membership was mentioned as 5,311. That's a lot of people. Yeah, A lot of people for one church. The population of London at that point was about 6 million. So 5,000 members, but in a 6 million person uh, population center. So uh, let's see, in 2018, uh, Elevation Church uh, boasted a weekly attendance of 25,000 people. It's based in Charlotte, which is big, but has a population of about 800 to 900,000. Wow. So we've got a sixth of the population and five times the attendance. So to Jed's point, you could have big churches before, but you probably lived in London. Yeah. You probably lived in South London and went to church there. There's a lot of people at a lot of mega churches who were driving in from the next town, the next state, staying home and watching it because they like the speaker. And what we have here is something that is fundamentally not what a church was ever meant to do. That brings us back to the question we started with, and particularly in light of re- recent scandals. Is there a place for the megachurch today? What size church is too big? Where's the line between having nice visuals, lights, etc., and being a distraction? So, um, as as where we started off, Jed started off in exactly the place. There's a place in the megachurch today because it exists. It's a financially going right. model, so uh, you know it's probably going to keep happening. What size church is too big? Hard to say. What I think what we're pointing to is not that there's such a size that is too big, not that there's a certain amount of smoke machine or, you know, goofy guitar reverb, or any of the, the surface things we make fun of the megachurch about because it is a cultural situation that there is definitely there to be made fun of because it's all kind of cookie cutter. There is at the heart of a lot of large uh, churches and that a certain me- church culture that is spun off megachurchiness something that has its own set of values and its own set of priorities and its own set of ways of doing thing that are totally their own. They are as much the way the mega church does it as not being able to play monopoly or drink cheer wine is how word of faith fellowship does it. And they both had the exact same amount of a uh, rooting in the new Testament, which is not a lot. It's taking what's in there and then putting the thing on there that works for our business model that we that perpetuates for us to get to be in charge of it. Yeah. So again, hey, we're we're not in charge of church in in this world in this country, and I think I safely speak for my two co-hosts and saying we don't want that job. Yeah. Oh, uh, we want to help yeah. out individuals who come to us for help. You came to us asking a question, and I hope we gave you a a strong overview of why the mega church is definitely not for us. 
I again, I feel safe speaking for my uh, my co-host here, and I say it's probably not for you. If you came to me and asked you what church you go to, I'd say it's not that one. But again, we also wanted to point, to give you some details, some DNA, some structures, some systems, because as we point out in a recent episode, there's plenty of things that are on this megachurch model that have about 300 people that go to them. Yeah. They want to be it. They're copying it. They're copying all the parts they of are. it, except that yeah. part, successful part. So this is not going to be quite as easy as small church, good, big church, bad. I don't think that's entirely wrong. A lot of the time, there's some things you need to look out for, some things you need to cut through and hopefully have some context for going forward. When you think about church, think about uh, church culture and all that stuff, how it pertains to you, how it pertains to people in your life. And we hope we've given you some tools to do that. If you have a question for us on a future episode, say that podcast at gmail.com, the bridge, Chicago.tumble.com slash ask. If you want to keep that anonymous, Okay, the song this week. This is a song Lee produced for us several years ago called Oh How He Loves Me. A real fun tune. Tell you that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. Oh, you didn't have to, but you came for me. your name spit in your face.